welcome to Treasures Old and New from ART. Hi, I'm Joy Jackson. My next show is a lost episode from The Mysterious Traveler called Seven Years to Wait. George and Louise are about to lose their home and they come up with a plan to avoid it. But it's going to take seven years. American Radio Theater presents The Mysterious Traveler. This is The Mysterious Traveler, inviting you to join me on a journey into the realm of the strange and the terrifying. I hope you will enjoy the trip, that it will thrill you a little and chill you a little. So, settle back and get a good grip on your nerves. Where are we going? Our journey carries us into the lives of a man and a woman whose greed drove them along a strange and unknown road, a road that ended in darkness. I call their story, Seven Years to Wait. Our story begins back in 1940 in a small New England city where George Adams and his wife Louise live in a huge tumble-down mansion. In the dimly lit living room, George is turning the pages of his stamp collection while Louise nervously watches him. George, for heaven's sakes, put down those old stamps and listen to me. All right, Louise, I'm listening. How can you sit there so calmly? A few more days and we won't even have a roof over our heads. Now, Louise, you must be patient. The moment Jeff gets back, I'll ask him to lend us the money. But suppose he refuses. What will we do then? He can't refuse. After all, Jeff is my brother, and this house means as much to him as it does to me. That must be him now. Is that you, Jeff? Yes. What are you two doing up so late? I thought everyone in this sick town went to bed by 9 o'clock. Well, George wants to ask you something. Then you better talk fast, George. I'm taking the Midnight Express back to New York. But, Jeff, you just got here this afternoon. Surely you're going to stay a few days. Of course you are. While this is your first visit home in 15 years. Uh, Sorry. Uh, Seven hours in this one-horse town is all I can take. Now, what did you want to ask me, George? Well, it's this way, Jeff. When Father died and left me this house, it was mortgaged to the hilt. In fact, it still is. I was wondering if... If I would pay off the old family mortgage, is that it? Well, not the mortgage, Jeff, but the interest on it. Of course, by now it amounts to quite a bit. Almost (laughs) $2,000. You actually expect me to sink 2000 bucks into this white elephant? (laughs) Jeff, in a few years it'll be very valuable. The business section is growing this way. George is right, Jeff. Why don't you two stop kidding yourselves? A hundred years after you're both dead, this house will still be a white elephant. Jeff, you're wrong. And if you don't lend us the money, the bank will foreclose. I wrote to Uncle Philip a month ago, but he refused to help us. Of course he did. George, stop dreaming about getting rich. You're a born failure. It's guys like me. Guys who take chances who make the dough. Last week, I was flat broke, and now I've got a bankroll of 2500 bucks. Here, take a look at it. $2,500? Yeah. Looks pretty nice, doesn't it? 
And I made this dough because I'm not afraid to take chances. Then, then you won't lend me the money. Not while I'm in my right mind. Say, I'll miss that train if I don't hurry. I'm going up to pack my suitcase. I'll be down in a minute. Oh, George, now what are we going to do? A failure, am I? If I could hold on to this house, I'd show him. I'd show him. If he had an ounce of decency, he'd have lent me the money. He had no right to call you a failure. Failure, am I? Louise, we're not going to lose this house. I don't understand, George. Where will we get the money to pay the bank? Jeff is going to give it to us after all. But he just said he wouldn't. Louise, listen. All his life, Jeff has been a ne'er-do-well. Why should he have all that money just to throw it away when we need it so badly? George, you're talking strangely. I don't understand you at all. Jeff has never done an honest day's labor in his life. What good is he doing in the world? What loss would he be? None at all. George, what do you mean? Not, not... Yes. Jeff himself said that only men who take chances ever make any money. Well, I'm going to take a chance, and you're going to help me. Oh, no, George, no. Yes, it's the only way. But he's your brother. He... If he was any kind of brother, he'd have lent me the money. Louise, do you want to live in poverty all your life? No, George, but... Then our only hope is to hold on to this house, and that means Jeff has to die. But, George, we'll be caught. No, we won't. Jeff came here late this afternoon, after being away for 15 years. Nobody's seen him. Nobody knows he's here. But, but the body... We can bury it in the cellar. No one will ever suspect a thing. George, Jeff is coming down the stairs. I'll use the fire poker. Get him to turn his back to me. Oh, George, I'm frightened. Louise, do as I say. But I have a feeling that... Well, I'm packed and ready to go. So long, George. See you again in another 15 years. Uh, Jeff, wait a minute. Your tie is crooked. Here, let me fix it for you. Well, make it snappy. I haven't much time. Hey, what's wrong with you, Louise? There's a funny look in your eyes. Don't you... Oh! Oh, George! Get a hold of yourself, Louise. It's all over now. He's dead. Is that you, George? Uh, yes, Louise. Good evening, darling. Did everything go all right downtown today? Uh, yes, of course. We're all paid up to date and nothing to worry about for another year. Louise, uh, what's the matter? You look worried. Someone called up an hour ago asking for you. He said it was in regard to Jeff. In regard to Jeff? Who was it? I don't know. He didn't give his name. He said he'd call on you at six. Oh, George, I'm frightened. Uh, Louise, get a hold of yourself. Whatever it was, no one knows a thing. It's probably nothing important anyway. But there he is now. I'll let him in. Now remember, just act calm. I, I will, George. Yes? Mr. Adams? Yes, I'm Mr. Adams. Come in. Thank you. My name is Drake, Mr. Adams. I'm from New York. Yes? What can I do for you, Mr. Drake? Mr. Adams, you're the brother of Jeffrey Adams, aren't you? His brother? Uh, why, yes, I am. Why do you ask? Do you know his present whereabouts? Jeff's whereabouts? Why, uh, why, no, I don't. My husband hasn't seen Jeff since he ran away 15 years ago. Why, 
Why are you looking for my brother? I represent the estate of Philip Adams. Uncle Philip? His estate? Yes. Your uncle died three weeks ago, leaving quite a large estate. In round figures, about $250,000. $250,000? Who... Uh, who gets it? The entire estate was left to your brother. You... you mean I don't get any part of it? I'm afraid not. Oh, how unfair. However, your Uncle Philip's will does provide that if Jeffrey should die before receiving his inheritance, the entire estate is to go to you. You mean if you can't find my brother, uh, I'll get the $250,000? Yes, that's right, but I wouldn't count too much on it, Mr. Adams. The law allows us seven years in which to find a man before he can legally be declared dead. But if by the end of seven years you haven't found Jeff, I would get Uncle Philip's estate. Yes. I'm sorry I'm not able to help you, Mr. Drake. Of course, if we hear from Jeff, we'll let you know. Thank you, Mr. Adams. I'll keep in touch with you. Good night. I'll see you to the door. Good night, Mrs. Adams. Good night. Good night, Mr. Drake. Good night. Louise, do you understand? Someday this house will be a worth a lot of money. And on top of that, in seven years, Uncle Philip's estate will come to me. <laughs> and Jeff said I'd always be a failure. Six years passed. Six long years in which George and Louise Adams lived in their dreams of the future. Their daily life was a constant struggle to meet mortgage and tax payments, but at last the moment they had dreamed of arrived. They had a caller, a Mr. Simmons, who was a real estate agent. Now, Mr. Adams, on behalf of my client, I'm authorized to offer you $40,000 for this property. $40,000? Yes, ma'am, and a mighty generous offer it is, too. Well, I don't know, Mr. Simmons. Considering the way real estate values in this neighborhood are going up... I'll make it $50,000. Take it or leave it. All right, Mr. Simmons. It's a deal. Fine, fine. Now, how soon can you vacate? My client is anxious to start building at once. He plans to tear down this place and put up a ten-story office building. He's going to tear down this house. Yes, that's right. Uh, and, and dig up the ground for an office site. Well, naturally, he'll dig up the site. Dig up our cellar? Uh, I'm sorry, Mr. Simmons, but I've changed my mind. I've decided not to sell. But just a moment ago, you... Would $60,000 make you change your mind back again? Yeah, I, I'm sorry, Mr. Simmons. Uh, we're just not interested. Adams, you're being foolish. How much longer do you think this house will be yours now that the city council has raised real estate taxes? If you're smart, you'll sell this property while it's still yours. No, I won't sell, and that's final. All right, have it your way. I'll buy this property after you've lost it. Don't bother showing me to the door. Oh, George, $60,000. But, Louise, we, we couldn't accept. If they dug up the cellar, they'd find him. I'd forgotten that. But that means we'll never be able to sell this house. Not as long as he's down there. Yes, I know. We'll have to stay here. Always. Couldn't... couldn't you get rid of him somehow? 
you mean dig him up and oh no, no Louise, I I couldn't do that. Think of how he'd look after six years. But George, it would no. I just couldn't do it. I couldn't. Oh George, what's the use of going on? It's all been for nothing. All we're doing now is working to prevent him from being found. No, Louise. Have you forgotten Uncle Philip's estate? Next year, we'll be able to claim it. That's why we must hold on to this house. But, George, the new taxes, where are we going to get the money? Louise, why don't we take in a boarder? A boarder? Yes, why don't we rent one of the rooms in the house? But, George, do you think it would be safe? I mean, a stranger in the house? We'd be perfectly safe. Why should a boarder suspect anything? Well, if you think it's all right... Of course it is. That'll see us through, and in just one more year, we'll be able to claim a quarter of a million dollars. That must be my wife now, Mr. Martin. George, you'll have to do something about... Oh, I didn't know you had a visitor. Louise, this is Mr. Martin. Mr. Martin, my wife. I'm happy to meet you, Mrs. Adams. Louise. Oh... Oh, forgive me for staring at you, Mr. Martin. That's quite all right, Mrs. Adams. Do I remind you of someone? Why, yes. My husband's younger brother, Jeff. <clears throat> Louise, uh, Mr. Martin came to see the room we have for rent. And a very nice room it is. Uh, tell me, how much would it cost me uh, with meals? With meals? Uh, yes, uh, breakfast and supper. I hate eating in restaurants. Well, with two meals a day, we'd have to have at least $20 a week. That sounds fair enough. Uh, can I move in right away? Yes, of course. Now that's fine. Then I'll go down to the station and pick up my baggage. I just got into town, saw your ad, and came straight here. All right, Mr. Martin. Your room will be ready for you. Supper's at 6. More potatoes, Mr. Martin? No, thanks. You know, I, I do wish you two would call me Larry. Mr. Martin sounds so formal. Yes, it, it does. Uh, all right, we'll call you Larry. And you call us by our first names, Louise and George. That's much better. Um, didn't you find it rather lonely, George, growing up alone in such a large house as this? Oh, George wasn't an only child. He had a younger brother, Jeffrey. Oh, sure. You mentioned that I look like him. Does he live here with you? No, no, Jeff is dead. Dead? Uh, my wife doesn't really mean he's dead, Mr. Larry. Uh, it's just that we haven't heard from Jeff in over 20 years. She merely assumes he's dead. Yes, that's it. Have you made any efforts to locate your brother? Uh, yes. Uh, we made several attempts to find Jeff, but without any success. Mm, that's too bad. Uh, yes, uh, not having heard from him in so many years, I'm, I'm afraid we can only assume he's dead. George? Yes, Louise? Will you call Larry down? Supper's ready. All right. Oh, George, did you buy that racing form Larry asked for? Yes. Uh, say, what does he do all day long besides studying racing forms? Why, nothing. In the two weeks he's been here, he's hardly been out of the house. What's he do for a living? He says he's an investment broker. An investment broker? Hmm. 
Now, George, he pays his rent, and he's no trouble at all. Will you call him down, dear? Supper's ready. All right. Larry, supper's ready. You shouldn't shout like that, George. You should go upstairs and... Here I am, George. I'll have to... George! He was in the cellar! What were you doing in the cellar? My hobby's photography. I just wanted to see what kind of a dark room the cellar would make. You had no right to go down there. You had no right. Say, what's the matter with you folks? You act as though you had a body buried down there. All I was doing was looking for a dark room. I, I'm sorry I lost my temper, Larry. You see, it's just that, well, the cellar holds unpleasant memories for me. As a child, I was always punished by being locked in the cellar. Yes. Y yes, of course, I understand. I don't need the cellar for a dark room. Any other place will do as well. Uh, of course. Uh, you can use almost any room in the house. Uh, supper's ready. Uh, shall we go in? George! George! What's the matter, Louise? George, I was just up in the attic. Jeff's wristwatch and signet ring, they're gone. Gone? Yes. How could they be gone? They were locked in that old trunk. Yes, I know, but they're not there now. But they have to be. I tell you, they're not. I went through that trunk a half a dozen times. The watch and ring are gone. But who could have... Louise, you don't think that Larry... Larry, yes. Did I hear someone mention my name? George, that suit he's wearing... Oh, yes, the suit. How do you like it? Why, that suit belonged to... George! Where did you get that suit? Well, the, the truth of the matter is, I found it in a suitcase in the attic. It fits me rather well, doesn't it? You, you're nothing but a thief. You had no right to take it. Well, I just hated to see such a fine suit go to waste. You know how hard it is to get good clothing these days. By the way, the initials on the suitcase were, uh, J.A. George, look! He's wearing their wristwatch and signet ring. He stole them. That's where they went. Uh, let's just say I, I borrowed them. <laughs> borrowed them? Take off that suit and give me that watch and ring at once. Do you understand? Why don't you stop shouting, George? It's all over. It's all over? Yes, the game is up. What? What do you mean? About a week ago, I went up to the attic to see what kind of a dark room it would make. And I found a dusty suitcase with the initials J.A. on it. To me, J.A. could mean only one thing. Jeffrey Adams. Well, what of it? Opening the suitcase, I found this suit. Some shirts, underwear, and a letter from a girl addressed to Jeff Adams. The letter was postmarked May 1940. 1940? Yes, six years ago. Obviously, the suitcase was Jeff Adams, and he's been in this house within the past few years. But then I remembered you had told me that you hadn't seen Jeff in over 20 years. And we haven't. Really? While investigating further, I found this watch and ring in the trunk in the attic. The watch has the name Jeffrey Adams on the back of it. Then I knew. Then you knew. Yes, George. It took me several nights, but the night before last I found poor Jeff's grave. Jeff's grave? Yes, in the corner of the cellar, behind the furnace. Oh, no. Who are you, a detective? <laughs> Certainly not. 
Don't you recognize me, George? Recognize you? Yes. I'm Jeff Adams. You're Jeff Adams. What are you saying? Jeff's dead, buried in the cellar. Uh, the three of us know that, George, but no one else does. From now on, I'm your brother Jeff. But, but why? If I was smart enough to learn what you've done, I could also learn why you did it. I know all about Uncle Philip's estate, George. So that's your game. You'll never get away with it. <laughs> yes, I will, George. I'm going to collect that estate, and if there's any trouble, the two of you will testify that I'm Jeff Adams. Testify so that you can get the two hundred and fifty thousand dollars. I won't do it. <laughs> if you don't, think of what I might tell the police. How would you like to explain that body buried in the cellar? If you're smart, George, you'll play along with me. For years, Louise and I have slaved to keep this house. In another year, Uncle Philip's estate will be ours. And now you're trying to steal it away from us? I'd sooner die than let you have it. And die you will, George, unless you do exactly as I say. Don't you see you're licked? Men like you never have a chance, George. You're a born failure. Everything you do turns out wrong. That's what Jeff said about me. And Jeff is dead. Jeff is dead because he didn't know how to handle you, George. But I do. You think I'm afraid, don't you? <laughs> that I'll do exactly as you say. I know you will, George, because you haven't any choice in the matter. I'd sooner go to the police myself than let you get Uncle Philip's estate. <laughs> Even knowing it would mean the electric chair? Yes. You wouldn't dare. Oh yes, I would. I'm going to get the police right now. George, are you out of your mind? I won't let you rob me. I won't. I'll be back with the police in five minutes. George, come back. You don't know what you're doing, George. Well, this ought to be rather interesting. <laughs> He's in the living room, Lieutenant. If he hasn't run away, there he is. That's the man. Now take it easy, will you, Mr. Adams? I can't make head nor tails of what you're saying. Now,、uh, who's this? Your wife?、Uh, yes, yes,、uh, that's Louise. And what's your name, Mister? I'm Jeff Adams, Lieutenant George's brother. He isn't, I tell you, he isn't. I killed Jeff six years ago and buried him in the cellar.、Uh, ask Louise; she'll tell you. George is telling the truth. We killed Jeff and buried him in the cellar behind the furnace. We killed him. We killed him. Walters, take your men down to this cellar and see what you can find. Yes, sir. Come on, boys. Uh, Lieutenant,、uh, might I speak to you alone for a minute? No, don't listen to him. He'll tell you nothing but lies. Lies, do you hear?、Uh, please, Mister Adams, I've got to listen to everyone. You'll get your chance. But Lieutenant, you don't understand. He's going to try and tell you that.、Uh, Sergeant, take Mister Adams and his wife into the other room. Yes, sir. Come on, Mister Adams. You heard what the lieutenant said. This way. All right, Mister. Now, what have you got to say? I hate to say this, Lieutenant, but I'm afraid my brother George and his wife Louise are, well, unbalanced. You mean、uh, they're out of their heads? I'm afraid so. Their belief that I'm not Jeff Adams seems to bear that out. Can you prove you are Jeff Adams? Of course, Lieutenant. Here's my wristwatch with my name on the back of it, my signet ring, and I think I can find a few other things that will prove to you that I'm Jeff Adams. Well, why does your brother think he killed you and buried you in the cellar six years ago? Yeah, that isn't difficult to explain. 
Six years ago, my uncle, Philip Adams, died and left me $250,000. I've been traveling all over and didn't know a thing about it until just the other day. I see. Uh, uh, go on, Mr. Adams. George and Louise were sure I was no longer alive, and in another year, after I was legally declared dead, they expected the estate would come to them. And then you showed up. Huh. Quite a shock after all this time. Yes, and I'm afraid the sight of me after they so firmly believed I was dead has, well, unbalanced them. You know how it is when people get their heart set on something. Uh, I've handled plenty of crackpots. Frankly, I don't mind telling you, Mr. Adams, that your brother and his wife have always been regarded as somewhat uh, eccentric by their neighbors. Yeah, yes, um, that doesn't surprise me. But why do you suppose he thinks she has you buried down in the cellar? It's probably just part of the delusion of an insane couple. George and Louise are so anxious to have me dead that they actually believe they murdered me and buried me down there. Yeah, I get what you mean. Say, Lieutenant, the boys and me found a grave in the cellar and dug it up. Grave? But I thought... Maybe now you'll believe me when I tell you I killed my brother and buried him in the cellar six years ago. Yeah, wait a minute, Lieutenant. We found a grave, all right, and dug it up. But there wasn't any body in it. There wasn't? But there has to be a body in it! There has to be! Funny thing, Lieutenant. We didn't find a thing in the grave except this framed picture. Picture? Here, let me see it. Why, Lieutenant, that's a picture of me. Yeah, yeah, it is. And look, there's an inscription on it. Uh, to Louise and George with love, Jeff. Why, I sent that picture to George and Louise six years ago. <laughs> Lieutenant, he's lying. He's lying. I tell you, don't you see what's happened? No. Uh, what's your explanation? <laughs> this man dug up Jeff's body and got rid of it. That's why you didn't find it. You gotta believe me. And this picture that was found in the grave... Uh... He put the picture there himself. I don't know why, but he did. Sure, sure. No, no, no. Just, just take it easy, Mr. Adams. I'll take care of everything. Walters, take Adams and his wife down to City Hospital and have them put under observation. Yes, sir. Come with me, Mr. Adams. You too, ma'am. No, I'm not insane. You can't do this to me. I'm not... I tell you! Grab him, boys! Take him out of here! <laughs> you must listen to me! I tell you, he's an imposter! He dug up Jeff's body and got rid of it! I killed Jeff six years ago! I killed him! Do you hear? Say, he really has it bad. Poor George and Louise. Imagine digging a grave and burying my picture in it? <laughs> yeah, they sure wanted to see you dead in the worst way. Well, I guess there isn't any doubt a sanity commission will find them insane. I suppose not. Well, as soon as I get the money that's coming to me, I'll see to it that George and Louise are given the best of care in the finest institution there is. Well, that's mighty nice of you, Mr. Adams. It's the least I can do for them. Poor George. I'm afraid he was just never born to be rich. No, he's the kind of man born to fail at everything. This is the mysterious traveler again. Have you enjoyed our little trip into the realm of the dark and fearsome? What happened to George and Louise? Oh, the lieutenant was right. A sanity commission decided they should be placed in an institution, and Larry Martin got Uncle Philip's fortune. 
Unfortunately, the poor chap was killed a few months later in an automobile accident. His passing was a great pity. He was such an enterprising young man. Which brings to mind another corpse I knew who once— Oh, you're getting off here. I'm sorry, but perhaps we'll meet again. I take the same train every week at this same time. The Mysterious Traveler was written by Bob Arthur and David Kogan. This lost episode originally aired on the Mutual Radio Network on July 14, 1946. In our cast, you heard Bob Hutchison as the Mysterious Traveler, Randy White as George Adams, Susie Hutchison as Louise, and David Maddox as Jeff Adams and Larry Martin. Also appearing were Tom Fitzpatrick, Stuart Talbert, John Greenway, and Aaron Hiles. Music by Chad Rinney. The production was directed by Mike Wheeler. I'm your announcer, Moki O'Reilly, thanking you for listening and inviting you to join us again next time. This is ART, American Radio Theater. Dr. Mainstay! Dr. Mainstay! For goodness sakes, Flyweight, what is it? Quick, quick, come to the dig. They found something, something incredible. Calm down, Flyweight, what have they found? It's a box, Doctor, a box made out of plastic. Plastic? Are you certain? Yes, it it has an old-fashioned recycling symbol on it. We think it's a type that hasn't been produced for at least five centuries. Has anyone opened it yet? No, sir, we want you to open it. All right, Flyweight, let's go. Oh, Spendthrift, where's this box? Uh, Over here, sir. We left it in situ. Look at it, Doctor. There's even some of the original paint on it. Let me have that brush, Spendthrift. Yes, sir. Has it been mapped? (laughs) Yes, sir. We wanted you to extract it. Give me a pair of gloves. Hmm. It's the old style, all right. Made from petrochemicals. This is terrific. It's in beautiful shape. Not even a crack. Let's get her to the workbench. Do, do, do. 35 years in the field and, well, it's the best specimen of late 20th century plastic I've ever seen. Open it, sir. Open it. Who found it? Spendthrift did, sir. Spendthrift, you open it. Are you, are you sure, sir? Darn right I am. This could be your career. <laughs> what about your career, sir? Heck, my career is over. I'm just waiting for the dust to settle. Open it, Spendthrift. <sighs> okay. Here goes. There's a piece of paper in it. Okay, Spendthrift, take it out and read it. Be careful, it's likely very brittle. Read it, Spendthrift, read it. Now read it out loud, Spendthrift. www.americanradiotheater.org Gee, Dr. Mainstay, what does it mean? Hmm... Well, in the late 20th and through the 21st century, there was a revival of what was called audio drama. People listened to stories presented in sound format only, not even any two-dimensional pictures, let alone full immersion simulation. Really? You think this American radio theater was, was part of that revival? What about the double U's and the, and the O-R-G and those two dots? Didn't you two study the Internet? 
That was the first step to constant connectivity. Look at the logo, a microphone, and the acronym ART. Yes, this is the sort of thing that could really establish you, Spendthrift. Oh, thank you, sir. Hey, hey there's something else in the bo- box. It's, it's a button. It's, it says ART, Visualize Audio Drama. <laughs> there you go, Spendthrift. There's your PhD paper in a plastic box. Hey, let's listen to some music from the days of old-time radio. And in this case, it's Jubilee. One if by land, two if by sea, get on board, because it's Jubilee. Here's your kicks for this week, all wrapped up in a big package of jubilees just mean to you and you and you. Tonight's chorus sneak brings you Barney Bigard, Ace Coronetis, the one and only King Cole Trio, Judy Carroll, Penny Carter and his fine band, and the star of the Jack Benny program, Eddie Rochester Anderson. And here to toss his torso, wiggle his waddle, and laminate your larynxes is your master of ceremonies, Ernie Bubbles Whitman. Smith, and thank you, folks, thank you. Cass, we want you to gain around a little sauce of gravy for some cream to the cream that'll make you homogenize. The first things we're going to get in tonight are a few Benny Carter and his band, and here he is, Benny Carter! <laughs> Thank you. 
Jimmy Carter, thank you. Man, when I say gnat, that don't mean a thing. You might think it was talking about a gnat that was a bug. And when I say king, that don't mean nothing, because that could be any old king at all. But when I say gnat king Cole, you dig me lightly, don't you? Yes, sir, and I ain't running over the lip when I tell you that the next attraction is a King Cole Trio. <laughs> With Johnny Lee on the bass, Oscar on guitar, and Matt himself on the 88, it's if you can't smile and say yes, please don't cry and say no. <laughs> Me a kiss, you never miss. Won't let it go. You can't smile and say yes. Please don't cry and say no. Squeeze me a spoon and be fine. Mmm, I love you so. But you can't smile and say yes. Please don't cry and say no. When I ask for a day, the answer is no. You don't know what to say. Don't you know the war's on? Everything is ration. How about that giant? Keep alive. Baby, let bygones be bygones. Cause men are scarce now. And if you can smile and say yes, please don't cry. Chester? I'm not at liberty to divulge the information. Military secrets. 
That's right. Wreck my whole story. <laughs> Rochester, I thought you said you were a high official. Well, she may not be an official, but she sure is high. <laughs> I'm ashamed of you, Rochester. All you think of is wine, women, and songs. Who's singing? <laughs> Never mind. You get right over here as fast as you can. Okay, Ernie. Goodbye. <laughs> I... That boy, now, it behooves me as a big fat behoover to bring on a gate who's one of your favorites. This man has got so much technique on clarinet that they can't make an instrument fast enough for him. Naturally, you know who I mean, Barnum's Good, and he is with Benny Carter's orchestra, giving out with his composition of Elabooge Blues. Barnum all know that Elabooge is Jubilee spelled backwards, but you be sure and play it frontwards. Rochester, especially for a fellow who's sitting at something important to tell me. 
What is the big news? Well, Ernie, I'm thinking of leaving Mr. Benny and opening up a business of my own. Boy, and Mr. Benny here is going to tear his hair out. If he does, believe me, he'll feel no pain. <laughs> well, well, what do you want with your own business, Rochester? I thought Mr. Benny paid you very handsome money. Yeah, but I like that ugly kind that folds. Oh. <laughs> well, what kind of business are you going into? Well, Ernie, do you like thick, juicy steaks? Man, I should. <laughs> Great, big, beautiful slabs of roast beef? Mmm, I see. <laughs> All the lamb chops you can eat? Oh, brother, do I? Ernie, I think I can help you. You gonna open up a butcher shop? Uh-uh, a reducing parlor. <laughs> a reducing parlor? That's right. I call it the Central Avenue Accentuate the Positive, Eliminate the Negative, and Mess Around with Everything in Between Reducing Establishments. <laughs> Let's talk about reducing is very interesting, Rochester, but why come to me about it? Mr. Whitman, the answer is as plain as the stomach on your stomach. Uh-oh. <laughs> now, hold on, Rochester. Are you implying that I am plump? Why, well, I have the kind of figure you can sing about. Yeah, and I know the song, too. One meatball! <laughs> well, I don't like to admit this, but maybe I should take off a few pounds. What do you suggest for me, Rochester? Massage? I think your best bet would be demolition. <laughs> then, of course, you could take our steam cabinet treatment. Yeah. We've got the most powerful steam cabinet in the world. Really? Yeah. We tried it out on the dog the other day. In ten minutes, he went from poodle to puddle. <laughs> well, I don't think that's for me, but haven't you got any masseurs down at your place? Oh, sure. We can give you three different types of masseur treatment. Three different types, eh? Uh, there's the ouch, that hurts type. There's the, oh, oh, you're killing me type. Then there's the, oh, type. Now, which would you prefer, Ernie? <laughs> well, if you don't mind, I'll take you. You lay your hand on me and I'll scream for the police type. Well, I can see I'm not going to get any business here. So long, Ernie. I'm going over to Lena Horn's house and try to get her down to the massage parlor. Well, Lena don't have to reduce Rochester. What do you massage her for? Don't worry, I'll think of something. Goodbye. Well, there comes a time in the affairs of men when they feel the need of some pulsating fortitude. So here's just what Dr. Jai prescribed. And with open arms and a twinkle in my big fat eye, I'm glad to welcome to the gift of the blues, Judy Carroll. Oh, welcome to Jubilee, sweetie pie. Thanks, Ernie, but you better be careful of that speech talk. Oh. A certain fellow I know at ATO 980 just might be listening. He might not like it either. So what? Is he bigger than me? Of course not. That's impossible. Oh. Well, I would like to dedicate Kate my song to this fellow. Is that okay? Well, uh, is he a latchstone Jackson? He ain't a four-cornered square. <laughs> well, is he solid potato salad? He ain't a beat-up artichoke. Is he a groovy Louis? Man, he's a rover who crossed over to the swinging side of the street. Considered dedicated. What's it going to be? Play me the blues with Benny Connor at the Ganga. Oh.
I don't want to see any cablegrams from any of you saying, what's the idea of doing a jubilee and that cold only playing one number? So just to keep everything straight, I'm going to ask the boys to bring another hymn on your freight lapels. What's it going to be this time, Nat? Well, Ernie, here's a little medley the folks seem to like. We're coming at you with our rings of a little tune entitled Miss Thing and followed up with a little ditty entitled Sunny Side of the Street. Well, Nat, go right ahead and knock it out of it. <laughs> Thank you. 
your coat and your hat Leave your worries on the doorstep Just break your feet To turn, turn, side and see Can't you hear the pity-pat Of the half little tune to yourself Life can be so sweet On turn, turn, side and see I used to walk in the shade With my blues on gray I'm not afraid Because the worries are over and the road starts over But never have a cent I'll be rich as Rocky Hello With gold dust at my feet On the sunshine side of the sea Let your hat your coat your best and hang your words on the dust that's going by and by Just direct your feet to side of the seat That's funny Can't you hear the day to congregation? Well, Ernie, it's always a thrill to be here on Jubilee, knocking them out for the boys, and here's something on the bright side to top off the set. Well, turn up that flame, hot foot us, Benny, hot foot us.
That's all I've got time for today. Please check out ART's website, AmericanRadioTheater.org, for more of our podcasts. You know, we put up a new one every month. Hey, see you next time. Adios!